All right. Let's go to Lord in prayer. So God, you are everlasting God. Way, way uh, too much for us to wrap our heads around who you are. How great, how powerful. Um, it's too much, but uh, what's even harder for us to try to grasp is not how big you are, as hard as that is, but the fact that you're that big and that powerful and you care about us at all. That is so incredibly amazing. And so uh, we're talking to the creator of the universe right now as your people gathered together in the name of your son. And we're making um, our hearts open to you and we're lifting to you that which is on our hearts, those things that are, have been spoken, the things just as important, if not more important, unspoken. Our hearts are before you, and we lift our, our, our very uh, selves to you. We appreciate the fact that Christy's mom is getting to go to this trip. Uh, we do pray for safety along the way and for, for joy and celebration uh, when she arrives and celebrates with family and friends. And uh, God, we ask that you'd bring her home safely, uh, empowered, and, uh, if a little jet lag, certainly full of, of joy and happiness from the time that she spent uh, at, on this trip. And God, we lift up Yuli and we thank you for this little girl and for uh, all that you've brought her through already in her very uh, short life to, to this point. And we ask that you'd uh, continue to be with her and be uh, close to her in a tangible way that both she experiences and her parents can see and all of us around her who witness her can see that you love her and that you protect her. You are her God. And uh, we pray that through this whole process, uh, the doctors, the staff that have wisdom and uh, skill as they work with Yuli on this operation. So God, now as we open your book together, as we uh, see what it says, we, we know that uh, this amazing kind of mind-blowing process of the eternal, everlasting God loving us through Jesus, communicating to us through your word by your spirit. God, we get to be part of that now. And so uh, we ask that you help us to pay attention and that we would uh, soak in all that you desire for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a little thought experiment I'd like us to engage in. Okay? If you could... Wouldn't mind closing your eyes for a minute. And uh, I'm going to ask you in, in your imagination to uh, picture worship. What comes to mind when I ask you to picture worship? Hold that thought in your mind. Okay, you can open your eyes. And... Uh, so just by show of hands, I can ask, and this isn't a gotcha kind of thing. I'm not trying to make you say the wrong thing or anything. I, just a thought experiment. 
whatever comes to mind comes to mind. That's okay. So how many of you thought of a group of people doing something? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. How many of you thought of one individual doing something? Okay, very good. Um, I think I got everybody. Is there anybody that won't raise their hand to, regardless of what I ask them? To do no, I think we I think we got everybody, and uh, so we had some some group worship pictures. We had some individual worship pictures, and that, that that's good. Both of those are okay. How many thought of somebody at work going about their day to day type of thing? Maybe a firefighter uh, going to a, a call. Maybe a teacher teaching a, a class. Maybe. Maybe a mom holding a, a baby late at night. Anybody? Anybody think of that? Okay. All right, you did. Okay. Um, and so all of these things are correct, proper pictures of worship if we worship correctly. So we want to talk about worship this morning. We're doing a little series here for the past couple weeks and a few more weeks to go on, I guess, what we're calling our, our, our mission statement for the church. I don't know. Mission statement is, is, is something that some people say is good, good to have. I think it isn't a bad idea. We can call it a slogan, whatever we call it, all right? Just words to put on our website so people see that there's something there when they visit and hopefully uh, come and check us out um, as a church. What we're putting together as a, as a statement is that we want to be a gospel community who is worshiping, serving, and growing together. A gospel community, worshiping, serving, growing together. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at the gospel, what the gospel means. Last week, we looked at community, what community means. And of course, these are all interconnected and related. But today, we're going to focus on worship. What does worship look like? What is worship? And so uh, before we jump into it, we'll do a little review here of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago because the most important thing is that we're a gospel community and the worship and the service and the growth are all related to this central idea of the gospel. And the gospel, um, as we looked at a couple of weeks Ago, It's this idea of the kingdom of God is available right now through Jesus. That's the gospel. The kingdom of God is available right now through Jesus. And looked at a couple of, of, uh, of verses. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14 gives God's uh, desire, his mission, the eternal God has a plan, and he, the, the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who sees where we're heading and, and uh, the one who's in control, wants the whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a beautiful picture. Okay? The knowledge of God blanketing the earth the way the waters cover the sea. And there is a time coming if God's word is true, I believe it is, that the, the worship of the Father, Son, and Spirit will blanket 
the earth as the water covers the sea. The time is coming. But Jesus desires to bring the kingdom of God, the worship of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, to earth now in anticipation of that day. And that's Jesus' plan. He, he uh, gathers disciples around him when he was here on earth, and he told those disciples, go and make disciples, uh, preach the gospel, the good news, that the kingdom of God is available now. That's, that's, that's God's plan. And, and the method of making that happen is to change people's minds about what this world, what this life is all about. Not to think that we're the victim of all the dark forces and, and, and uh, all the things that, that kind of bring us down and not to settle for living a defeated life, but to realize the eternal God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit brings the kingdom of God now to those that put their trust in Jesus. We can live in the kingdom now. True worship. True worship means that we live in that time when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth, blanket it like the waters cover the sea. We live, bring that time right now and bring heaven to earth, bring the kingdom to right now. True worshipers live in that time now and invite others to come in. So let's take a look at... A, a couple of passages. Uh, I'm going to start with John chapter 4, where Jesus had a very in-depth conversation about worship. John chapter 4, a conversation that Jesus had about worship. Let's see what Jesus has to say about what it is to be a worshiping community. So we're going to jump into the middle of the story. This is, a, this is a well-known story. I look around the room. I think you all know this story pretty well. We call this story uh, the, uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. And it's a beautiful story. And because um, it's well-known, we're not going to take the time. It would be worth the time. We're not going to take it to read the whole story. We're going to jump into the, to the middle and kind of fast forward. You remember the story, though, right? Jesus and the disciples going through uh, Samaria, the disciples go off into the town to get something to eat. Jesus sits down by the well. A woman comes by to draw water, and Jesus has a conversation with her. Okay? And then we're going to jump to verse 16 of John chapter 4, the middle of this story, uh, when things take a certain turn here and things get really interesting. So Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. You're right when you say you have no, no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And of course, she now does what all of us do when a conversation gets uncomfortably personal. We change the subject, right? And that's what she does. Verse 19, sir, she said, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship 
is in Jerusalem. So she changes the, the subject from her own personal life, which apparently was something she didn't want to talk about, which Jesus, being the Son of God, was able to provide insight into and open up in, in that conversation. She didn't want to go there, so she changed the conversation to a conversation about worship. And the amazing thing is that's apparently where Jesus wanted the conversation to go all along. So we continue. Jesus said, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming. What did we read earlier in Habakkuk? There's a time coming. When the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea, it's going to blanket the, the, the fabric of creation, this world, this beautiful world that God made, which is filled with such beauty, but also in our day and age is filled with such uh, difficulties and darkness, these two things fighting against each other. Time is coming when it's not going to be anymore. Darkness, it's just going to be glory and beauty and God's creation is going to be merged and heaven and earth will be one. The time is coming when that will happen. Jesus said the time is coming. But in him, as we know, as we read the Gospels, the good news, that time is now. Jesus brought that time now and the, the future glory of, uh, of God's merging of heaven and earth is available now in Jesus. And it's available when we worship. Time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus replied, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The time is now. The kingdom has come. Repent. Believe the good news. Change your thinking. The time has come if we learn to worship. Who do we worship? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see them all here. True worship is worshiping the Father, Son, and Spirit, and that brings the kingdom of God here, right here, right now, when we do it in spirit and in truth. So you see how many times the word worship appears in this passage, if you're familiar with the story of the woman at the well, maybe we wouldn't think, first of all, first and foremost, it's a conversation about worship, but it appears that that's the, the, the ultimate direction Jesus wanted the conversation to go. It's certainly where it ends up, and he says the word worship multiple times here, and he's saying that there's something about true worship that brings, the, uh, brings eternity into the present and the kingdom of God. 
settles where true worship takes place. So we've talked about worship. Let's, let's, uh, let, let's continue here and let's expand from this time to ours because um, who and how we worship very important. Who and how we worship is very important. Who we worship and the way we worship that who is very important. It shapes who we are and how we experience this life. This, this woman, we read between the lines a little bit, not the whole thing that got her to change the subject, but really Jesus got her where she want, he wanted her to go uh, um, ultimately, but she was uncomfortable. And the little glimpse of her life there it, that we got a piece of, there were some broken relationships in that poor woman's life. And who she worshipped had an impact on, uh, and how she worshipped had an impact on how she lived her life, and her life was characterized by broken relationships. It's easy for us, easy for me, as I've heard people discuss this passage and preach on this passage and write about this passage. It's, It's easy for all of us, I think, to be pretty quick in thinking about that poor woman at the well and distancing ourselves from her and feeling good that she found her way to Jesus. But we don't relate ourselves to her, perhaps, because we think we're pretty well together and she wasn't together at all. The fact of the matter is, if we want to be true worshipers, we need to realize we're all the woman at the well. You see, is there anything that if Jesus came in and started to have a conversation with each of us about worship, is there anything that could go sideways in that conversation when he opened up something that we are trying to hide or we hope we could hide or uh, uh, if, if everybody else does know it, we sure don't want anybody to be talking about it. Is there anything in us that could go sideways in a conversation about Jesus that could for me? I think there could for all of us, all of us are the woman at the well, because all of us can get sidetracked in true worship of the true God. We can put substitutes in there. We're going to talk about that in a moment. We're all the woman at the well. And there's so many people that, whether on the outside there, life feels uh, appears to be all together, and you look at him and you say, yeah, I wish, I wish, you know, I could be like that. Uh, but then all of a sudden something happens and boom, that life falls apart. And we said, I never would have guessed, right? Or there's folks that, I mean, they, they, they lead with their dysfunction. Their dysfunction enters the room before them, right? And, and, and they clearly don't have it all together. It doesn't matter. We're all that woman at the well, all of us. Jesus desires 
to have that conversation about worship with us and say, what are we really worshiping? What are we really looking for satisfaction in? What are we really doing, spending our time doing in order to get the satisfaction that only comes from worshiping him? Jesus has an amazing conversation. If we want to have amazing conversations with people about worship, we need to allow Jesus to have an amazing conversation with us about those things that get us sidetracked. And we need to bring some humility into our conversations. It's not that there's big bad people out in the big bad world and, and, uh, and they're somehow worse and we're somehow better because we found our way to church here. No, we're all the women, woman at the well. We all need to interact with Jesus because how and who we worship shapes us. And as we have conversations, this is a sidetrack. I could spend lots of time on this. Maybe some, at some point in the future I will, but just a sidebar on the, uh, this business of, of worship conversations, conversations with people about worship. A couple of uh, big fancy terms, religious pluralism, religious relativism. In our society, uh, there's plenty of talk about religion, right? And uh, religious pluralism allows for that because religious pluralism means that there's no uh, state-sponsored religion where some religions are shut down and others are lifted up as appropriate. That's certainly our context here in America. That'd be called, called religious pluralism. And that word pluralism might be scary to some. I don't know. Uh, it just means that we positively welcome the encounter with people of different faiths. It appears that Jesus was pretty comfortable with religious pluralism. He had a conversation with a Samaritan who believed something differently than he believed. And even though he didn't say that what she believed was the same thing as what he believed, and even though he said that she was uh, you know, mistaken in what she considered to be the ultimate reality. The conversation was not something that he shied away from him. Religious pluralism invites conversations with anybody about anything. Religious relativism, however, that's a different thing. So religious relativism means that, okay, so... You believe that, and that's true for you, and that's okay. But that's not true for me. Therefore, you have your truth, and I have my truth, and we'll go on our merry way. Have you ever heard something like that? Have you ever experienced something like that? Do you sometimes maybe believe something like that? See, religious relativism doesn't believe in objective truth. 
says, religious relativism just kind of says everybody kind of has to find their own way, and if it works for them, that's okay. So let me ask you a question. Just imagine what this conversation was, would be like. Imagine you go to the doctor for, for, for something that's going on, something serious, something about someone you care about, and uh, whatever it might be, the doctor says, you know what, there's all kinds of ways people throughout history in the healing profession have tackled this particular situation. And, and you know what, uh, none of them is really true. It's just what makes you feel the best and what makes you feel as though it's going to work. So what, what I'd suggest to you is that, you know, in the, in the past and actually in some places, in some uh, corners of the world today, there are, there are these uh, village shamans, these uh, folks that come and they, they smoke this pipe and they blow tobacco smoke on the person and then with a feather, they just kind of uh, uh, blow it away and that is believed to take the disease out of the person. So how, how would that be? Would that work for you? That's probably not something that you would expect from a medical doctor, would you? Because we're looking for something a little more objective when we go there. However, when we come to the area of religious belief, what really impacts how we live and what gives us the strength to go through the most difficult times, we say, ah, whatever, yeah, you, you like to smoke a pipe and wave a feather, ah, if it works for you, right? Pluralism says, yeah, let's talk about feathers and smoking a pipe, that's fine, I'm, I'm all ears, tell me about that, that's what you like to do. And then, because you've given somebody the, uh, you've, you've paid them respect of listening to them, then you would hope that they would pay the same respect to you to listen to what you have to say. That's the difference between pluralism, which opens conversations, relativism, which means it really doesn't matter anyway. Because when push comes to shove and when the storms of life hit, whatever those storms of life may be, this kind of general, nonspecific, wishy-washy, spirituality, whatever, um, that has no real substance, it's like an anchor of jello when the storms of life come. When the storms of life come, you want something to hang on to. The Bible gives us a picture of God who loved us so much he gave his son. We give our lives to him, his spirit comes and becomes that anchor for us to hold on to. So this past week, in many ways it's kind of a typical week uh, for me. It started... Um, so earlier in the week, there were a number of ceremonies, and as a chaplain in the guard, I stand up and I do a prayer at the beginning of the ceremony. And um, there's a, one soldier uh, that has expressed to me that he's an atheist, and um, uh, he, he, he came up to me after one ceremony and said, I really like your prayers. Give me a lot to think about. Then as the week rolled on, I did a, there was a training for some of our soldiers that 
uh, are going through the process of learning how to be, um, be involved in the process of casualty notification. So when a soldier dies, the team, the notification officer, goes to the house with a chaplain to break the news that the soldier isn't coming home. And there's a two-day training, and I, I get invited to those training, and I do a little piece uh, on my experience. And you hear a, a pin drop as kind of explaining what it's like to be in that living room, sharing that news. And uh, the week went on, and I, I did a, a, a training, a two-day training uh, that where, uh, where I... Um, work with some other folks to teach people how to engage in um, suicide intervention, how to deal with somebody that's having thoughts of suicide and uh, how to, to work with them in an effective way to try to get them to safety. And the process of uh, this particular training where we were working with uh, people that work with veterans and military folks. There was one woman that came, she's a gold star mother, if you know what that is. She's a gold star family is somebody who has, uh, uh, their, their service member has died while in the service. And they form a support group around that, um, that very unique loss, the loss uh, of losing a family members and typically it's moms gold star moms the uh, that singular experience that folks never get over of a parent losing a child and uh, she was a great addition to the class and we taught people how to do that and then there were three interactions that I had with folks in the hospital this week and midweek there was a message that came in a CCIR, that's, that means an, some kind of an emergency, Commander's Critical Information Requirement. Uh, so it popped up in my email, and, um, and it, it said suicidal ideation of a soldier, level three. Level three means there's an action that's been taken. Uh, level one would be thoughts of suicide with no uh, definite plan. Level two would be thoughts of suicide with a plan, level three, thoughts of suicide and action taken on that plan. So I went to the hospital and thankfully the soldier is physically okay, but of course the conditions that led to that action are definitely still in place. The second interaction with the hospital is that uh, later in the week a soldier had a um, motorcycle accident thrown from his motorcycle in bad in bad shape they are hopeful um, that everything's okay doesn't appear to be spinal cord injury but still um, still in a in an induced coma as they're trying to work through putting together the shattered body of this this poor young man and I visited the family visited the soldier as well, and then uh, last night got a call from a soldier who was in the hospital who um, was there because a loved one had just died. Very many ways a typical week with lots of stuff 
that is pretty sad, pretty dark, pretty difficult. And I do have the privilege of kind of walking into people's lives, whether I know them well, and some of these people I've known for a long time, some of them I met them there at the hospital. Whether I know them well or not, I get invited in to these spaces, these places, where the, 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 the storms of life are hitting hard. I'll tell you this. As grateful as I am to be able to... Uh, perhaps offer a little bit of whatever it is I can offer in those moments. It's the people that have a sure foundation of a solid faith, not a wishy-washy kind of, yeah, I believe in God, yeah. I am a whatever and fill in the blank, Catholic, Presbyterian, whatever. But whatever that kind of connection is, it's not a powerful connection of intense worship that impacts their life daily. When those storms come, I walk into the people's lives. People are floundering. However, when you walk into the situation and there's a strong faith, there's light in the room. There's power in the room. It's just as sad. It's still, it's horrible. But there's hope there. Jesus said true worship is directed to the Father, Son, and Spirit. He's happy to talk to anybody about what they're looking to to provide them meaning and hope, but he wants to show them what true hope really is. Worshiping the Father, Son, and Spirit is an anchor in the storms of life. So let's real quick look at, uh, kind of flesh out what this true worship is. Jesus had this conversation about worship. He just kind of assumes that we know what we're talking about when we're talking about worship. Let's uh, not make that assumption. Let's nail it down. What is worship? What does it really mean? Here's a generic definition. Pulled it out of the dictionary. This will work, okay? I'll pick it apart a little bit, but it works, all right? What is worship? The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. That's what worship means. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, all right? So reverence and adoration, I'm not sure what the differentiation is in this definition. We're going to consider that as being kind of the same thing. It's something that's that's focused toward a deity, okay? That references the fact earlier that I said we can worship all kinds of things. There's only one true worship, right? But we can worship all kinds of things. Uh, whoever we put in that deity spot, let's uh, say true worship is worship of Father, Son, and Spirit. I want to focus on that feeling or expression. Feeling, that would be sort of a heart attitude, expression, that would be an action that flows from the heart. But that or that's in the middle, the feeling or expression, I don't like that at all, okay? Because it is true that we can have one or the other and call it worship, but both are needed for true worship. We need a heart attitude that flows into correct actions. Both are necessary for true worship. 
worship. So let's look at them real quickly as we close. Heart attitude. What does a heart attitude, a true worship of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit look like? To flesh it out, jump in the middle of another story in the Gospel of Luke this time, chapter 4, where Jesus was being tempted by the devil. All right? It says this, Luke 4, 5, The devil led him, Jesus, to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All kinds of stuff there, right? But it's about worship. The devil's saying, worship me, and we're going to shortcut this whole thing of God's plan where the glory of the knowledge of the Lord fills the earth like the waters cover the sea. I give you the world right now. Just worship me. Jesus says, no, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Those two words, worship and serve, when Jesus says, worship the Lord your God only, and serve him only. Both those words are worship words. In fact, the word serve there translated is a Greek word that is used elsewhere. It's, it's uh, translated worship. It has to do with religious service. Both of them are connected. I want to focus on the first word there, worship. Worship it has to do with a heart attitude. And Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament when he said it, to the devil. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 6.13 and it says there, fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and he used the word worship for this word fear. Worship the Lord. When it says fear the Lord, what's he saying here? He's talking about that deep abiding powerful sense of awe that comes when we encounter the true and living God. Worship should involve a heart attitude that understands the, the overwhelming power and love of God and allows that to settle into our soul. Now, we can't always live on that mountaintop moment where the presence of God seems powerful and real and overwhelming. There are times when that kind of flows into the background because other things come to the forefront. But is it there? How do we keep it there? By a fresh daily encounter with Jesus, with the true and living God, realizing we are the Samaritan woman and we need Jesus to ask those hard questions and keep our heart attitude pure. So easy to misdirect our, our focus our attention. Satan was tempting Jesus. Worship me. The woman at the well, her focus had been misdirected the wrong way. We need a fresh encounter with Jesus so that our heart attitude is in check. And as we sway, as we turn, Jesus shows us truth and says, not there, here, come to me. That's the heart attitude. And then from that, comes actions, actions from the heart. Romans 12, verse 1, 
It says, therefore, I urge you, Paul says, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That word worship right there, that's the same word as serve earlier in Luke 4. It's a worship word. It has to do with the actions that come from the heart attitude. In the ancient world, in the world of the Samaritan, of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, the, the, the time of Jesus when he was walking on, on the earth, there, there were temples here, there, and everywhere. People would go to those temples. They'd bring sacrifices. They would sacrifice the animals, and they'd keep part of the meat, and they'd give part of the meat to the priests, and part of the meat would be uh, burned on the altar and given uh, up to God, and uh, that's the actions of worship. They were around those temples. And there were songs and there were singing and there was incense and sacrifice and all the rest. Well, in Jesus, the temple and sacrifice become one because God's people, in response to the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, we give ourselves as living sacrifices to God and serve him by serving one another. True worship has to do with a heart attitude that then results in actions of worship for God and one another. God desires us to be a worshiping, a gospel community, worshiping, serving, and growing together.